Welcome back. It has been a moment. Welcome to the Creator Sessions. We're here with Katie Golding, the Chief Marketing Officer of Semaji and previously Marketing and Comms Director for Sky News Arabia. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome. It's great to have you on board. Um, we go back a long way, actually. Uh, over the years, we had the privilege of working together quite a few years ago. Um, and more recently, we, uh, we, we share a passion for trail running. We do. We do. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start from the beginning. Um, Katie, you are leading the way uh, for one of the most prominent media agencies in the region, um, navigating the change of uh, the nation. What got you into this area of work in the first place? So I always wanted to do it. And um, I knew from a very young age, I was about 12 years old, I was at senior school, and I was asked to write an essay uh, for an English uh, test. And I actually went back and cut um, letters out of newspaper ads and wrote the story in letters. Mm, and I nice. took it into school and I got a D. And I got a <laughs> D because I broke the rules. And my dad, was a, my dad was a teacher, he was a PE teacher, and he actually went back into the school and said, she needs merits for creativity. Because I was never particularly academic, but I was always passionate about what I did. And I didn't get any change to that um, particular assignment, but what it did set me off on was a path that I loved advertising. And um, so from being 12 years old, I knew it was what I wanted to do. I, um, I went to university and studied media. I didn't have the academic grades to get in the universities at the time um, because there was only two or three courses in the UK. Um, but I took a year out and I worked in an advertising agency in Manchester. And Which one I, was that? Um, it was called Concepts in Advertising. Okay. My first account was Mercedes. Oh, good start. And um, I just ran with it and seemed to get on with these two guys. The owner was um, ex-Leo Burnett. The creative director had come out of Grey International. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of started as their PA and then ran Mercedes for a year at the age wow. of 18. No way. And so I went to university in Leeds and I carried on working with them. So um, at the weekends, in holidays, I'd go back and work at Concepts, take on different accounts, different projects. Nice. Um, so I knew that was what I was going to do. And I spent 15 years in London advertising agencies afterwards. Incredible. So, yeah. Talk us through the move from London advertising agencies through to the Middle East. You've had a variety of jobs uh, here in the UAE um, before moving across to, to your hybrid role across Saudi as well. So how, take us through some of the highlights that that, that, uh, that that journey looks like. So I was really happy in London. I was at the height of my career, um, group account director in an agency called Tullow Marshall Warren. Mm -hmm. And I was running um, Lloyd's TSB and previously British Airways. And I'd met my husband on the British Airways account. And so he had this passion to travel and he'd never traveled. I'd kind of taken six months out beforehand. And he said, we can't settle down and can't get married until we travel the world. So Amazing. we packed up, packed up for six months. I felt at the time I was being dragged around the world. Oh, <laughs> but got into it. You know, now in hindsight, yeah. was, that was one of the most amazing opportunities I had. Yeah. But because... I was 31 and I was settled and I was looking for the next thing. Um, I kind of went into it reluctantly. And when we got back after six months, we, we went back to work. And it was me that said, kind of, I can't live here. It's, it rains every day. Like, um, yeah. we've been surfing in Australia. And, yeah. You know, got a taste all, of the sun. Got a taste <laughs> yeah. of the sun. And we were sat in a wet and rainy apartment in Manchester. And we got a phone call from an old boss that said that TBWA was setting up an agency in Abu Dhabi to run the Etihad Airways account. And did Mike want the job? And Mike said, well, 
you know, I've got to think about Katie. And, and the boss went, oh, I know Katie. Two for the price of one. Do you want to come to Abu Dhabi? <laughs> so off we set with a backpack in wow. 2007. And we were um, the first kind of two directors in TBWA, RAD Abu Dhabi, um, linked mm. with the Dubai office. Um, and we worked there for two years until wow. I got pregnant, got married and got pregnant with my first son. Amazing. Um, and then following that kind of, you know, the advertising world, you know, I've always had a passion for advertising, but one of my accounts was 2454, which was the yeah. media zone. Mm -hmm. And it kind of exposed me to the BBC and CNN and a few of the other kind of big media brands. So it was a natural progression when I then went in-house um, at the time with Imagination and Quest Arabia. Mm -hmm. Incredible. You must have seen a lot of the changes in the industry as well. I mean, things, you know, back then, probably 10, 15 years ago as well. And and a lot of the changes that recently happened with COVID and, and digitizing a lot of the media. What were the main um, pit stops, if you like, or the main events that you felt really impacted the industry as, as you were kind of going through different iterations of it? Well, it's really interesting because I actually started off in digital marketing with Abbott Mead Vickers back in 1998 when the first websites were being built. So I was involved in, you know, the first advertising for Pizza Hut, the first website. So I think that there's always been a stigma around digital, but mm -hmm. actually... You know, we talk about digital natives now, and I think it's less so. But actually, the, we, you know, digital always ran through my career, and I was never scared of it. And so I think, you know, with an industry and with some of the changes in media, we're still a bit wary about kind of new technologies. Um, and, and I've seen that change a lot over time. But fundamentally, it always comes back to having good people, simplifies, simplifying what you're talking about. I think we have mm. a habit when it comes to technology and digital of overcomplicating it. Absolutely. And actually, keep it simple and keep it quality. Nice. Um, and so whilst we think we've seen massive shifts, I think there's kind of some themes that are consistent um, that we all need to adopt. Mm. What has been shifts in the industry and, and leaps in your career as you've progressed to, to where you are today? Um, what role have mentors played or not played in your career? Massive, absolutely massive. So I think that, you know, I always had the passion and I always had the skill. Um, and I think you only learn with tenure the emotional side of leadership. Mm. Um, so I think it's probably taught me to be in late 40s to understand where I'm adding value and to understand where I am making a mess of it. And um, I think mm. that's taught me a long way to go. And I kind of look at some people throughout my career. Um, one um, was during my maternity leave, I worked in an agency in Manchester because um, we had a little stint back in the UK um, with a lady called Nikki Unsworth who ran BJL. Mm -hmm. And she was just so together, you know. She's probably, she was probably my age now. Mm. And I felt that she was intelligent, but she knew where to, when to step back and mm -hmm. when to let her team lead. And I think that that is something that it's taught me a long time to learn. And I've actually learned the hard way several times. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I kind of, I remember somebody very, very early on, I mean, this job is hard, right? And it's long hours and sometimes you feel like giving up. And I remember very, very early on in my advertising days in London, somebody said, there's a million graduates out there that buy your hand off to do, yeah. you know, what you're yeah, doing yeah. today. And as I've kind of worked in the UAE, I've worked with a lot of young predominantly women actually and, and one gentleman where they've interned with my projects and I actually see how keen they are to learn mm. so I think seeing it from kind of a younger person's eyes as well yeah. has, you know and I've mm. obviously been mentors to them along the way but that's kind of inspired me to keep doing what I do so it works both ways it does I think it does work both ways and yeah. I think yeah. you can learn off everybody I think you've got to be open to that as well right even if you've reached a certain position in your career there is 
especially with the changes in um, in the industry, there's so much you can learn from those that are coming into the into the space rather than just those that have been um, that have gone through their career. Let's say. Yeah, and I think there's a different appreciation for different skills in this industry now. Mm. So when I started, people were creative and people were outgoing and you know, to a certain extent that comes with a lot of ego. But I think the, 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 the industry shifted so much that we're now seeing incredible data scientists yeah. and people that I ordinarily wouldn't walk in a room and click with. Um, just naturally, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. perhaps more introverted, um, more in, certainly more intelligent. And I think kind of understanding different skills and what they bring to the table. And as a leader, being able to say, you know what, that, that, I need that magic. How do I yeah. tap into that mm. has, been in, has been a real big learning. For somebody in your position with, you know, all of the experience, 25 years experience in the industry, what do you think makes up a good leader? Um, I think there's lots of characters that make up a leader, but I think positivity is probably the most important um, because I think, you know, if I know if my mind goes, everybody else goes around me, you know, if I, if I turn into a negative Nancy. So I think positivity is yeah. absolutely key. Uh, I think resilience is really, really important. I've seen good leaders come, burn out, um, mm. get frustrated, um, especially in kind of this line of work. So I think, you know, resilience and t tenacity are absolutely fundamental. Um, and I think being open to change, I mean, it moves so quick. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and I think it's kept me young, you know, people kind of say, I, you know, how you got to kind of late 40s and you still run and you still go out and you still do all this stuff. It's because I work in an industry which is so dynamic, it's yeah. kept me young. So being such a high performer in different areas of your life, what has been the most challenging moments that you felt it was worth sort of noting? So there's been two and I think they've been based on kind of life stage for me. And the first was when I had my second child and I was just trying to get my career back on tracks. And it's when I met Tom and I remember meeting Tom and you were um, training for the Marathon de Sable and I kind of thought you were superhuman at the time. <laughs> and I would have never... Didn't feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have never, ever considered, um, you know, something like an ultra race and... Um, and for whatever reason, I, I, I think I signed up for a triathlon and mm. um, I I did the triathlon and the, my run after the swim in the bike, I think I kind of knocked out a really fast, fast 5k and I thought, oh, maybe I can run. And then it set off this kind of running journey for me. Um, and it kind of gave me something at a time in my life when I was really struggling with my identity mm -hmm. um, and struggling with, you know, once, once you're in your 40s and you've got two kids, life changes. You can't go out for dinner every night. And so it gave me a new lease of life and a new kind of friendship group. So that was one and kind Amazing. of I found my way through it via running. And then later on, my young, my oldest son, um, also did a race and he won the race. So for about three years, we went up and down the country in the UAE nice. doing, um, he did the five, I did the 5K, he did the 3K. Mm. And we were on the podium, like nice. over 40s nice. and under 11. So it became something that I did with my child, which was, was absolutely brilliant and wow. kind of found a way to connect with him. And it was born out of a darkness, yeah. right? I found yeah. kind of a light in, in yeah. a difficult period. And the second time was um, actually kind of around COVID mm -hmm. and it wasn't overly COVID related, um, but I was working in a newsroom at Sky News Arabia and newsrooms are intense and COVID hit and it was probably one of the hardest places to be apart from on the front line, mm -hmm. you know, 
um, because you're surrounded by negative news all day, every day. And I went through a really bad period where I didn't sleep. So I had, I think, seven nights of insomnia um, and I just couldn't get on top of it. And again, the solution to it was to get up with the sunrise, push myself through it, um, eat really clean um, and kind of and focus on my own health um, first and then everything else clicked into place. But when I look back, they're probably two of the hardest times I've had where I had to be really resilient and dig quite deep. Interesting. Incredible. Um, one of the takeaways I take, especially from the second story, is controlling the controllables. Yes. So there's, there's so much uncertainty, especially if you're working in a newsroom. You don't know what's going to break next, what's coming in, right? So controlling what you can in your life to then give yourself the capacity to deal with what you can't control, um, yeah. I think is key. And it's, you know, it's, it's great to hear how running has played such a, a key role as well. It's played a, a, you know, a big role in my life as well um, in so many areas around resilience, mental strength, understanding more about yourself, what, how you're wired and all these sorts of things. So it's, it's really nice to hear that story uh, from, from your side as well. Yeah. Um, I always remember listening to something you once said as well, which is you just changed the race. Mm. Um, and I thought that was, it was on one, I think one of your Instagram point of views and, uh, one of your Instagram pieces. And when I'm racing, I change the race, right? If I can't control the circumstance, if it's raining, mm. if I'm in, as I was in the Berlin marathon with a million people in fancy yeah, dress in front chickens. of me, <laughs> there's nothing, I, people dressed as chickens and the pineapple <laughs> guy, there's nothing I can do, but all mm. I can do is focus on what I can do. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really interesting nugget, but I also find myself recalling that in a working environment as well so sometimes in the office yes we're surrounded by uncontrollables cameras don't work you know and something goes wrong um but if you can kind of just focus in on what you can do then i think it makes a big difference absolutely because otherwise you just don't have the capacity to deal with the the level of change yeah um yeah and the other the other kind of thing i think as well is Controlling those inner emotions. So I've done a lot of public speaking this this year, um, and it's something, you know, I'm, I've always been overly confident, but I feel like I have to prep to do stuff. Like I have to mm-hmm. walk into the room knowing I am 100% ready. And actually in some of the circumstances, just by the practicalities of being so busy, I haven't been 100% ready. Mm. But nobody else knows that. That's yeah. me. I know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I know that's a big thing and I try and control that as much as possible. But I think just kind of as, as a piece of advice for anybody mm. is you don't always have to spill all of your emotions out there because some of it yeah. isn't visible people to just, everybody. People don't know. One of the takeaways from... Um, from public speaking and, and preparation from that type of thing and looking up to individuals, right? We we have this um, false sense that everybody else finds it easy and it's only us that has to do all the work and work as hard as we do because we're not as good as them. So therefore all those hours of work is sometimes almost seen as a negative thing by yourself because you're like, oh, I have to do all of this only to just be as good as them. They don't even have to do this. But the reality is when you speak with high performers and you spend time with them, there is always a process. There is always an intense amount of work to get them to where they are. Nobody just walks on stage and like blows a TED talk out of the water. Mm-hmm. So understanding that all the work that you're doing, they're doing exactly the same thing. There's very few like pure play naturals in this world that are just high performers and they just can just do everything without without putting the effort in. So the it's not a negative thing either to be having to be prepare in that way to, to really make sure that you've got um, everything in line before you walk on stage or do a podcast or whatever it might be that you've got to do that day. So you have to do the work regardless of what it is like there is no way around it whether it's sport whether it's home whether it's the office if you haven't prepared for it and you're not kind of 
um, or aware of you've not putting the hard work for it, it's not going to work in the way that you yeah. want it to. And I think that's one thing I learned. I tried to shortcut a lot when I was younger, mm. um, work-wise. You know, I tried to party all night and go to the office <laughs> the next day. <laughs> Comes to you. It's good. Yeah. It shows up. Yeah. I think bringing things back maybe to the industry a little bit and, and you know, mainly focused on this region, on the, on the Middle East, how do you see the role of a woman in leadership has played a role in our industry and, and how much have you been challenged in that in this role? Oh, okay. I think it's a really, really interesting, um, interesting question and an, an interesting dynamic in this region in particular. Um, so I come from, I'm three generations of strong women in my family. My grandparents, were, my grandmothers were incredibly strong um, from working class Manchester. And I think Manchester, if anybody mm-hmm. doesn't know it, has got this sense of worker bees, you know, and the mm-hmm. suffragettes and women are known to be strong of family and in the factories and all the rest of it. So that has definitely kind of factored in. In the in DNA. My, in the <laughs> DNA. <laughs> and my mum was a really hard worker. She, she was a lawyer and, you know, she was a career mom. And so there was never any question that I was going to have a career. And I probably underestimated in my younger years kind of how disadvantaged women were. And I just kind of Mm. got on with it and I ran my race and I accepted things that now when I look back, I shouldn't have accepted, Mm. but I did, right? And that was the circumstance at the time in the 90s and early 2000s. And, you know, I did what I did and I got to where I got to. It wasn't until I got to this region that my career absolutely flourished. Um, Mm. And I think that... People were very, very conscious about empowering women in this region because mm-hmm. it's a perceived stereotype. And I think it is a stereotype and nothing more overseas that women are held back, mm. particularly in the West. And in my career, um, I've had more opportunities than some of the men that I know um, for leadership roles. And also in the media, especially at 2454, there was a real emphasis on training young people and an emphasis on young women with the creative lab and the internships there. So I naturally had a connection with some of the young women. And I think, you know, that mental mentorship kind of cycle that, um, that, that I've obviously learned a lot from just propelled me further and further and further. It's great to hear that there's um, that level of progression. You had the opportunities that, that that you've had. Can you talk to some of the challenges? Yeah, um, I think in my younger days, I was definitely um, definitely held back um, by being a woman. I think you know, if mm. three of us went for a job or went for a promotion, there was more chance of men getting it. And I saw men that had lesser experience um, thrive more, mm. certainly through the advertising world in mm. London in, in the eighties and uh, sorry, in the nineties. Um, so I do think that, you know, I didn't get the same opportunities. Um, I think I took, you know, a step back when I had kids and, you know, I'm, I live in a world here where I'm privileged, where I've got help at home and, a, you know, a driver yeah. as well. So it, it helps women do more. Sure. Um, but you know, I definitely had to take time out and then I went back in at a lower level. Okay. And I had to drop my ego to do that, you know, and, mm. I, and I think, you know, as a man, you wouldn't necessarily have to do that. You go back in and you'd soar, you know, mm. and I kind of had to work back up in lots of ways. Do you, th- do you think that looking back, do you think that propelled your career because you went in with a certain mindset that drove you even harder than you would have 
maybe been if you hadn't taken the backward step? Because it's almost like a, it's like training for a race as well, right? Sometimes the setbacks actually propel you forward. Absolutely. But the biggest eye-opener for me was, you know, I, I knew I was going back in straight after my second child uh, for a job that was a level below. So I went back in kind of as a mm. marketing manager on a freelance project. But I was passionate about the project. It was Franco Dragone, who was the original creator of Cirque du Soleil, mm. and he was doing a one-off event in the region. And I was like, I love Franco. I love the project. I'm just going to throw myself into it. And I think just that mentality of I'm just going to enjoy it took all mm. the pressure off. I have to lead it. Mm. I have to boss it. I have to knock it out. Do you know? I just yeah. enjoyed it. And after then, I said I'd only take projects that I was passionate about. And that's really directed my career. You know, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't love going into work every day and working on the brands that I work on. Um, so whilst... <laughs> There has been disadvantages, I think, you know, generally when you look at the gender pay gap and, you know, equality at a leadership level and, you know, you hear all the stats um, globally. Um, you know, I think that on paper, yes, I face some challenges. In practice, you're right, it's kind of propelled me to move forward in a way and I've found ways around those challenges. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I have to be aware of when I talk about things like that is that some of these challenges would knock other women back and I think that that's mm. where we need to kind of come to the table and have that open discussion yeah. you know just because I found a way around it doesn't mean it doesn't exist for sure um because with other people you know they may just not go back to work because they don't want to yeah. go in that lower lower yeah. level changing direction a little um SRMG a uh, 50 year old pioneer in the media space uh, across the region um has seen, partaken and driven uh, a lot of change and transformation across across media, certainly the digitization um, and and the direction that uh, that it is growing in now. You're leading that change from a, from Marcom's perspective. Um, what are some of the initiatives that you're most passionate about uh, within the organization at the moment? Okay. Well, that's really easy. So um, SRMG is the leading integrated media group in the region. Um, it's established brands are 50 years old. Um, and one of the challenges we've got there is to digitize some of those products. So they've mm. got really respected um, readership and, you know, the legacy titles. And actually, we're on a mission to make sure that they're um, reaching audiences in the space that audiences are. So in digital, in audio, in podcasting, in various things. So that's a really interesting challenge. Um, and one, you know, that's a difficult challenge. It's like turning a big ship. Um, yeah. It takes time. It takes tenacity and it takes, you know, extraordinary talent and resources. Um, the second area, though, which is really, really interesting is, it, is sometimes it's easier to launch a new brand than it is to change an old brand. Um, we have some amazing partnerships with international brands. So we're shortly launching Warner Brothers Discovery, a shark discovery, which is amazing. a partnership with Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, we've had an established partnership with Bloomberg um, and we run a shark uh, Bloomberg from um, DIFC office, which is a news channel, 24-7 news channel for the region. And it's been up for three years. We've just signed with Penske and Billboard to launch Billboard Arabia. So there's some massive new brands that are coming. Some of the stuff that really kind of excites me is um, is when it comes to the innovation space. So at SRMG, we've got um, a unit called Labs, which is headed up by a CCO, Faddy, um, who is ex-creative agency and is a pioneer in kind of creative and innovation. Um, and last year, just before I joined, he did a beautiful project for Saudi National Day, um, whereby the team embedded 
vibrations in the Saudi flag so that um, people that were hard of hearing could hear the national anthem for the first time. And that, for me, is like an innovation that uses media and digital technology, but for a real purpose and a real cause. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it it won quite a lot of awards. And I've seen that video. It's it's super inspiring and and heartwarming as well to see that, you know, people are able to feel what the national anthem really feels like when when they're deprived of certain senses. So it's it's a beautiful execution of, of of an idea as well. Um, so when, when it comes to digitizing some of your, your main flagships, what are the main sort of challenges that you faced in terms of, you know, moving to a new audience perhaps, or even changing the way that you communicate to, uh, to the audience groups? So it's not just about kind of just digitizing the products, but, you know, recognizing that particularly with news brands, for example, that younger people consume news in very, very different ways. So they don't necessarily look at traditional titles anymore. You know, they're consuming news through Facebook and social. and yeah. mm. um, Notifications and like <laughs> headlines. <laughs> absolutely. And making decisions on, you know, finance, economy, their home lives and politics by what they story. by, by yeah, some, yeah. somebody's story and a headline. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of our big challenges is reaching a whole new audience, okay. audience and engaging them in the right way with the right content um, so you know I think it's about kind of understanding what audiences want not just in terms of how they consume and the platforms that they consume but the types of things mm. that they consume as well so understanding in this region that kind of a youth audience when they're talking about economy is really interesting things like bitcoin and crypto yeah. and you know and all the rest of it so kind of looking at things in different ways content in different ways and serving it in different ways um, is actually a real challenge because we also forget people often lump MENA together, but MENA yeah. is 26 very, very different countries of very, very yeah. varying economic very levels, hmm. um, very, very different people with different cultures. Um, so reaching audiences is incredibly important. Secondly, is when it comes to actioning this stuff and kind of creating new products, is that often we're working with traditional teams. So one of the challenges is upskilling the team. Um, and mm. trying to train a newsroom of, you know, you've done it this way for 50 years. We now need to do it this way. So from my side, you know, a lot of that relies on good internal communication and making mm. sure that people know why they're in the room, what mm. they need to do, how they're going to do it, what that change is. Um, so often we think of kind of marketing and communication as telling the world, but actually the most yeah. important thing to do when you run a media brand is tell the media <laughs> so that yeah. they can tell the world. Absolutely. Um as a takeaway for the audience, if somebody um, is working within an organization that is, in their view, slow to change, how would you advise that they can influence that change? Sometimes if it's above them, their bosses maybe are not, uh, not moving in the same direction as, as, as they believe that the company should be. If they're in, it could be legacy media, it could be the like. How do you, how do you go about effecting change in some of the more traditional assets that you have? I think never be, you know, my advice would be never to shy away from your ideas. So, you know, if if things are moving slowly around you, the one thing that you can bring to the table, the control, the controllable is what your belief is, what your idea is, Mm. you know, and and sometimes I don't think that that's about, you know, kind of being the person that comes and complains about stuff, but it's about coming and solutions. Mm. And I think the best way to do that is to, to look at what's happening in the external world, you know, you know, this company's doing it this way. This Find is those the data fact. Points, right? This is the yeah. result. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is what our brand's telling us from a data point of view. And this is my idea about how mm. we can improve it. Interesting. And I think 
wherever possible, you know, I think any corporate organisation can be difficult to, to navigate. I think media organisations can be difficult to navigate. I think they've got big personalities, you know, across the board in yeah. most walks of life. But I think if you can ground yourself in facts and data and take the emotion out of it, then I think, you know, you, you stand yourself in a really good position to hmm. progress. Which is really powerful because it's easy to, it's easy to be negative. It's easy to say, it's easy to point the fingers, right? And say, this is what's going wrong and that's what's going wrong. But few people actually say, this is how we could do it better, which is the difference between um, leadership and not. Right. Yeah, so coming absolutely. in with an idea to say, even if you're a younger person in the room, to come in and say, look, based on this information, these data points I found, whatever's out in the market, the things you're even reading yourself, let's actually stitch that together. And this is the story it tells us. It's not necessarily um, my opinion, but here's the, here's the facts. Here's an idea that is my opinion based on those facts, but let's agree on those facts um, versus just coming in and saying, well, that's not going to work and this isn't going to work. And because you're never going to affect change in that way, right? You have to lead an organization. You have to lead your boss. You have to lead your peers um, in a direction. And that, that, that can only be done by people following you, Absolutely. which is positivity. And as a boss, if somebody comes in and starts complaining, I walk to go get coffee. I can't deal yeah. with it. And I can't, literally, <laughs> yeah. it will set my day in a different way. And yeah. I, I think we're wired in the same myself. way. <laughs> yeah, I can't deal with it. <laughs> it's like, come it. with the solution. <laughs> yeah. Don't come with just problems. Because just problems is, is just complaints, right? But yeah. I'll hear the yeah. complaint or the issue as long as you've actually thought about how it can be done yeah. better. But I've always considered myself a positive person. And actually, when I first got to the region, it was fraught with problems. Like I was in a new region for the first time. Mm. I was, you know, everything, you know, and it kind of in 2007 in Abu Dhabi, you know, there was one Starbucks. Like there was so many things, <laughs> you know. That's a key data was, point. There was yeah, only one Starbucks. Starbucks. <laughs> like a Saturday morning treat. Um, but there were so many things that I was dealing with as a person. And I've mm. always thought myself a positive person. And I, I was working with my boss at the time. And I probably didn't realize I was doing it, but one day he just turned around to me and he said, stop making your problem my problem. Mm. And at the time I remember being like, oh, that's like a dagger to my heart. Like, how dare you say that? And actually in hindsight, I now recognize when people are doing it with me, when they're making mm. their problem my problem. Mm. Um, and I've used it as much as I hate to use it. I've used it time and time again with teams, yeah. like possibly a little bit softer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it, it was really interesting that somebody called me on it yeah. and I had to be accountable for that. It's a good lesson in leadership, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I say, you know, I don't think any leader is learn unless they've learned the hard way yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. We talked a little bit about uh, your experience at Cannes. We did, Cannes yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's been the main uh, highlights for, for you during that experience as well and representing the region in, in, in Cannes as well. Yeah, so we had a fantastic presence down there for four days on the quizzer um, and the whole of SRMG was down and, you know, we had a series of talks and panels and we had some amazing speakers through from Ali Ali to Good People to Gary V was there. Mm. Um, our leadership team did some amazing um, kind of talks and panels with the owner of Brew and um, and there was a whole debate on the MENA region as well with mm -hmm. um, Elder from OMG and mm -hmm. um, CEO of OMG and Ellie from Angami. So there, it was a, a fantastic lineup for the week. It was challenging to manage it all. Um, and, you know, my role was partly helping in the promotion of it, but also doing the social media live from the event. Mm -hmm. And as you know, from the work that you do, live events never run smoothly. No, no, so there were no, some was challenges something. there. Um, yeah. Secondly, I did a panel on... Um, 
on the future of uh, media um, with some great names. And that was a nice. challenge as well. I pushed myself out of my comfort yeah. zone doing that. Um, I was the last panel of the week. So I'd seen everybody else do it so well that <laughs> they kind of set the bar and I yeah. had to step up. Um, but overall, kind of, I left with a, an overwhelming feeling that we'd really done the region justice. We'd kind of showed and showcased some of the amazing work that not just what we're doing, but the rest of the region are doing. Nice. And um, and Saudi have made an amazing footprint with, you know, winning the um, one of the awards and also with the Saudi Young Lions who got yeah. down to the final seven. Yeah, beautiful. Incredible. It's amazing to see how the how the, the, the region is getting represented more on the international stage as well. So hopefully more and more of that happens yeah. in the years to come as well. In in closing, what, what excites you most about the, the direction that the industry is taking at the moment in the media industry across Saudi, obviously the growth of um, of the kingdom in so many areas as well as the, the wider region. What's exciting you the most about the future? Um, I just think it's amazing. I think, you know, obviously the media, media and entertainment um, in MENA is the fastest growing market now on a mm. global stage. Um, so I think that, that in itself is exciting. And I think some of the kind of the brands, the names, the projects that are coming to Saudi and the region and having an impact on the region as a whole. Um, you know, if I'd have looked back in my 20s and said that I was working across a suite of these products, I, I would have never believed it. I would have been like, yeah, maybe one, not, yeah, not know, all of them. <laughs> not about 40 at one go. Um, so I think, you know, that's really exciting. I think it's really exciting for the, the industry, but I think it's actually really exciting for the people here. Yeah. And, you know, seeing, I've been here in the region now, as you have for quite a long time, I think it's coming up 15, 16 years. And seeing the difference when you speak to people at, at home now, when you mention Abu Dhabi mm. um, and, and you know, even kind of Saudi, um, people are aware of it. They're hearing what's going on. They're excited by it. Mm. Whereas 15 years ago, people thought I was mad moving yeah. here. They were like, why would yeah. you want to do that? No, like, where's that? Um, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it was the best move that I uh, personally made. And kind of for me, it's exciting because... You know, I'm, I kind of, I thought I'd be at a point as I was turning 50 where I'd be doing less projects. And I'm, I've done more in this last year than in one year than I've done in 10. Wow. So personally and professionally, that's, you know, I'm kind of rising, hopefully rising to the challenge and enjoying every minute. Incredible. Well, look, Casey, look, thank you so much for taking the time. You know, we know how busy you are juggling so many things, uh, often on a plane. Uh, so we appreciate you making the time to, to join us and to share so much. Um, and certainly tell us a story about yourself, you know, the person behind the, the role, uh, which I think is so important for, for people to understand how, how all of this comes together, uh, what, what makes you tick and how you perform in the, at the level that you do. So thank you very much for sharing it with us. Thank you. Thank you both.